Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season to the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had been there a long time in that case. And he said unto him, Will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? Now, I want to paint this picture for you because we read this and we think, okay, cool. There's a lot of sick people at this place where there's a pool, and Jesus walked up and just talked to this random man, and that's how we hear it. But we live about 2,000 years removed from this incident, and we're just thinking, okay, he's at this natural spot. People are hanging out, and there's a lot of sick people there. Well, no, I want you to imagine what happened here. Because this area is not a Jewish area, even though it's right outside of Jerusalem. It's technically right outside of the old walls of Jerusalem. And what this is was a pagan area and a pagan temple. Because you remember, there was not only Jews in Jerusalem. They were dominated by Rome at that time. And there was many other nations that were gathered there. And so this area was a Asclepion, an Asclepion. It was a pagan temple and an area dedicated to the Greek god Asclepius. So this is a place right outside the walls of Jerusalem that's dedicated to one of the Greek gods. This was a, they had some good things about it, but they also had some things that promoted the worship of the Greek god. They had a place for doctors to meet with people. That's good. They had a place that, that encouraged healthy eating. That's good. They even had things that they would give you to help flesh out your body of different things that could be in there. So there's a lot of good natural things going on, but there are also a lot of different things going on to promote the worship of this Greek god. And so this was a pagan place of worship right outside of Jerusalem. And so a lot of times when we picture Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Holy One of God, we would not picture him at a pagan temple. There's no way the Holy One of God would go to a pagan place of worship. We think if Jesus is going to do something, if Jesus is going to move, everything has to be right. The lights have to be right. The smoke machine has to be on. The lights have to be going this way. The people have to be happy. The people have to be stirred up. The preacher's got to be this. If God's going to move, all these things have to be together. There's no way Jesus would go to a pagan temple. Yet there he was. And he's walking in the midst of all of these sick people. All of these diseased people, all these halt and maimed people, all these people who have a whole bunch of issues, just like today we're a bunch of people who've got a lot of issues. And so in the midst of the chaos of the sickness, in the midst of the chaos of the pagan temple and the pagan practice, here comes Jesus. And isn't that like our Jesus to show up in our mess in places we shouldn't even be in? We have no business being there yet. Here comes Jesus. 
in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the pagan practice, in the midst of the sickness, in the midst of the drama, in the midst of the issues, walking through this crowd, coming up to this man, asking the question, will you be made whole? And I believe in the midst of everything going on this year and everything we've seen go on this week, in the midst of all the news reports, in the midst of the political debate, in the midst of the election, in the midst of the virus, in the pandemic, in the midst of economic uncertainty, in the midst of this, in the midst of that, and all these things going on, I believe today Jesus is standing in front of you asking you, will you be made whole? You see, this phrase, made whole, means restored to health. Will you be restored? And so he's standing in front of this man, and this man responds like a lot of us would. He said, Sir, I have no one when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming down, another steps in there before me. So notice what he says. Look, I don't know the right people. I don't have somebody to help me out. Nobody's helping me out. I've been in this condition for so long. All these other people are here, and when the water gets troubled, this dude runs in who has a hangnail and a headache for five days, and he gets healed. Now he's putting the blame of other people. Doesn't that sound like us? Well, there's no way I can be restored because of the Republicans, because of the Democrats, because of the liberals, because of the conservatives, because of Trump, because of Biden, because of all these things. There's no way I can be restored. God, look at all these other people. Standing in the way of my deliverance, standing in the way of my miracle, standing in the way of your power working in my life. Look at them! And they put the blame on everybody else why they can't be restored, but Jesus answers without answering his question. He said, I didn't ask you about that pool. I didn't ask you about everybody else. You get up and walk. Jesus did not ask you about the Republicans, the Democrats, the liberals, or the conservatives. He didn't ask you about everybody else. He said, will you be restored? Will you be made whole? And Jesus talking to this man, it says immediately his bones were strengthened, his body was healed. What was this man healed by? The word of Jesus. He was healed, he was restored by the word of Jesus, spoken to him. Now, one of the things, when he studied the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, is very interesting. There are a lot of miracles that are initiated by other people. A lot of miracles initiated by other people in their faith and their request. This man did not initiate a miracle. He was just sitting there in a place he shouldn't be. Who initiated this miracle? Jesus. Whose miracle was on his mind? It was on the mind of Jesus. It wasn't even on this man's mind because he was expecting deliverance to come from another source. That's why as I talked about last Sunday, I talked about it on midweek, we didn't make sure our faith is in the deliverer, not the method of deliverance. We need to make sure our faith is in our deliverer, our healer, our restorer, not the method of deliverance, healing, or restoration. Our faith is in the provider, not the method of provision. As we talked about last week, so many people had their faith in their certainty, not their faith in God. They had their faith in their routine, not their faith in God. Remember, God is our source, and he gives us many resources. 
And so Jesus is standing before this man. Will you be made whole? And then he says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Get up and get going. He was healed by the word of Jesus. Jesus initiated the miracle. And when we think about back to December of last year, when the Lord told us this would be a year of transformation and restoration. We didn't have anything on our mind compared to what would this year actually look like in the natural. You would think, well, after a few months of this year, even after six months, you're like, man, this would be a great, this would be a year of restoration. But we didn't initiate it. It wasn't on our mind. We didn't even know it needed to be on our mind. We didn't even know that we're going to need restoration on this scale. It wasn't on our mind, but it was on the mind of God. This is a miracle season Jesus initiated, and it says, I want you to be transformed this year, and I want you to be restored. This is your year of transformation. This is your year of restoration. Jesus initiated it. But then we must be like this man. Get up and get to going. Because now this man has an option. He can look at Jesus like, who are you? Because he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't recognize him. He says, you crazy. I have not been able to do this 38 years. Why are you telling me? Didn't I just tell you about all these other people? Didn't I just tell you about the pool? But he acted on the word of Jesus. He got up and got to moving. Too many of you, you may not be lying down on the outside, but you're lying down on the inside. And you have all the excuses and all the drama everybody else said, and so you're lying down on the outside. Everybody else looks at you, you look fine. But on the inside, you've been laying down for 38 years. In a place you shouldn't be. Although you know all the good Christian catchphrases, and you know how to look holy and blessed on your face and your Facebook. Get up and get to moving. Will you be restored? Get up and get to moving. Will you be made whole? Get up and get to moving. Go with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. This is another miracle initiated by Jesus. And he entered again to the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man that had the withered hand, Stand up! Step out in the aisle. Stand up! And he said unto them, all his people who were waiting to trap him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? Is it lawful to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he, Jesus, had looked around about them with anger, Jesus was ticked off at them, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. He was made whole. He was restored. Once again, we see this was initiated by Jesus. Jesus is in the synagogue, in the place this man is where he should be. Although there's this surrounding, this entrapment mentality, this accusatory mentality, in the middle of that, he says, you, stand up. Stretch forth your hand. 
And as soon as he acted on the word of Jesus, he was made whole. He was restored. Now go over a couple pages or swipe on your phone, Mark chapter 5. We looked at this in detail on midweek, and so if you missed it, go to the app and watch it on the app, on the Faith Plus app or on YouTube. Mark chapter 5, verse 22, And behold, there comes one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. Notice the words of faith. Jairus had heard about Jesus. We went into detail on Wednesday. He heard about what Jesus is doing. We're in the area of Jesus' hometown. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, but he moved to Capernaum. And so when you read about what's going on in John 6, it talks about how Jesus kept doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing miracles in such a creative and theatric way no one had ever seen anything like that. And so he heard about what Jesus was doing. And he came to Jesus and said, if you come and you put your hand on my daughter, she will be healed and she shall live. What is this? Faith released. He heard, he believed, he spoke, and he had a point of contact. His point of contact was Jesus, as soon as you touch her, she shall live. And Jesus said, well, let's go. So notice who initiated this miracle? Jairus. He knew what Jesus was up to. He knew what Jesus was doing. And so he put his faith in what Jesus was doing. And says, if Jesus is doing this, he can do it for me. We know what God is doing. He's restoring. This is our year of transformation and restoration. You need to put your faith in what God is doing. And so Jesus goes with Jairus on this mission of restoration, restoring his daughter to health. And as Jesus went with them, much people followed him and thronged him. There's a huge crowd around him. Everybody's trying to get Jesus' attention. You know you would be too. Even some of you introverts would have been a little bit extroverted if you walked in the crowd with Jesus. Some of you who never have anything to say would have had a lot to say if you had Jesus walking at you. Some of you would have been pushing Peter out the way. Just move. You got all that time, dude. Let me talk to him. So imagine a crowd of people around Jesus. And so in the midst of this crowd, there was a certain woman who had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. You know, we just read that in the scripture and skip over, but think about this woman. She had this disease for 12 years. And so, you know, the first couple of days, well, this is, no, everything's okay. But when it keeps going and getting worse, I should go to the doctor. But then she goes to one doctor and says, I don't know how to help you. Then goes to the next doctor, doctor, I don't know how to help you. Well, go to the specialist. The specialist doesn't know how to help you. And then imagine ancient medicine, ancient surgical practices. And they do all that they could, and they can't make her better, but she gets worse. And she spends all her money. So now she's sick, she's worse than when she started, and she's broke. And this has been going on for 12 years. When she had heard of Jesus, what did she hear? One of the things we look at Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all those who oppressed the devil. Peter prefaced that statement saying, this was spread throughout all Judea, all of Galilee. And he's now when Peter's speaking in Acts 10, he's in Caesarea in the house of the Gentiles. Y'all even heard what Jesus was doing. Everybody heard Jesus anointed. 
Why? That's what Jesus preached. That first year of his ministry, at least the beginning of his ministry, Luke chapter 4, it was his custom going to the temple, going to the synagogue, saying, I am the anointed. I am anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. That's what Jesus preached. So everybody heard, hey, this dude is anointed. But this woman also heard Malachi 4.2, growing up in the synagogue, growing up in temple, saying that when the Messiah shows up, the Son of Righteous, there'll be healing in his wings. The word rings means the border of his prayer shawl, the border of his garment. So she grew up hearing, hearing, hey, when Messiah shows up, there's going to be healing in the border of his garment. And this dude keeps saying he's anointed. The word Messiah means anointed. It's a Hebrew word for Christ. Hey, this dude says he's anointed. And I've seen all these miracles he's doing. I'm hearing all these miracles he's doing. He, he's the one. If I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Who's initiating this miracle? This woman. Is this woman even on the radar of Jesus? No, he's thinking about Jairus. He's heading to Jairus' house. But this woman needs a miracle of restoration. So she heard about Jesus and heard and heard and heard. What happened? As she heard, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith keeps coming into her heart. And then it began to change what she said. Faith won't move your mountain until faith moves your mouth. Faith won't move your mountain until faith moves your mouth. And so it says she began to say, if I must touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed and made whole. That's what she said. And when we look at the Greek, she said it continually. She said it consistently. She said it so much, it got her out of her sickbed. And then she had to get through this huge crowd. You know, a lot of us are like, cool, I'm going to go. And then you see some discouragement. All these people are surrounding Jesus. People who could have you punished for being in a place you're not supposed to be because you're considered unclean according to the law. And then going through all those people in a weakened condition. You know, there's different reasons why she could have quit and said, no, it's not worth it. But she maneuvers her way through the crowd and gets close to Jesus to where even Peter could not see her. John didn't see her. Jairus didn't see her. The whole crowd didn't notice her. See, you don't need the crowd to notice you. You just need Jesus' attention. And she gets up to Jesus and touches his garment. And immediately it says, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. That word plague lets us know it was a distressing sickness and condition. It's giving us more information how bad it was in her body. And Jesus immediately knowing that in himself that virtue, that word virtue is the Greek word for miraculous power, had gone out of him turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? Now you got to imagine people are people, whether it's today or 2,000 years ago. If you're in the crowd of people and you look around, who touched me? What do you mean who touched you, Jesus? Everybody is touching you. Everybody wants your attention. Everybody wants you to talk to them. Everybody wants to endorse your product. Everybody wants you to be the influencer on the Instagram page. Everybody is touching you, Jesus of Nazareth, holy one of God. But there was something different about that woman's touch. Because everybody was touching him, but one person touched from the standpoint of faith. So everybody was touching Jesus, but they didn't receive the power. Although the power was there. Which means it's possible to be in the presence of Jesus and have no miracles. 
You see it in the Gospels. Jesus would go places and said he could not do mighty miracles because of their unbelief. He would go to places and things wouldn't happen. There were even gospel accounts where he would walk through a city, nothing happened, got outside the city, then a miracle happened. So it's possible in the presence of Jesus not receive a miracle. But how did this woman receive the power she had been saying? If I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole, I shall be restored. Same word. She got up to Jesus and acted on her faith. And the power of God went out of Jesus into her. And she slipped back in the crowd. And Jesus turned around and said, hey, what's going on? Who touched me? There's something different about the touch of faith. And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But this woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. So you know this took some time. This is a 12-year testimony. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I, I trained ministers. I said, don't give up the mic. Don't, don't, don't. You won't get it back. And so I want to give honor to God, the head of my life, to pastor, the missionaries, the mothers, all my friends. He's been better to me than I've been to myself, and I give him all the praise. And it's going to take about five minutes before you get to actually what happened. And then you can start at the beginning of the story and go through all the doctors by name. All the people who left you, all the people who turned on you, all the people who haven't been able to see you for 12 years, you've been sheltering in place for 12 years. This was a long story. And she's trembling and shaking because she's nervous. Jairus, one of the rulers of the synagogue, is right there. She's now center of attention when she tried to sneak in and sneak out. But notice how Jesus calms her fears. He said, daughter. Now, we just read through that as a cool, you know, faith made you whole. This is the only person in the Gospels that Jesus called daughter. There's another woman who says she's a daughter of Abraham. She's Abraham's daughter. Everybody else, when you see the word in the King James woman, that's the translation we would say ma'am. So everybody else was ma'am. This one got daughter. Imagine the word daughter being spoken by Jesus filled with all the love and compassion that he has. It shut down the fear and the trembling. Daughter. Notice what he said next. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has restored you to health. Go in peace. This word peace is the Greek equivalent for Hebrew. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. Now, she initiated this one. She initiated this miracle. She initiated it with her faith, and by her faith, she received restoration. But guess what else is going on? Somebody else still needs a miracle. We focus on this woman, Jairus, patient Jairus. Come on, because some of you would have, like, Jesus, forget her. Let's keep going. Good. You're good. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bye. Let's go. Jairus is standing right there. And as Jesus is still talking to this woman, someone from Jairus' house said, hey, leave the teacher alone. Your daughter has died. Imagine how Jairus is feeling. Imagine what's going on in his mind. But notice, Jesus whirls around and says, hey, do not be afraid. Only 
belief. Your daughter shall be made whole or your daughter shall be restored. Because what was still working, although the situation had changed, the words of Jairus were still working. He said, Jesus, if you touch her, she will be healed and she shall live. Those words never change. First words matter. Faith words matter. Those words were carrying the day. And Jesus said, don't get into fear. Don't cancel what you said. And so Jesus goes with Jairus. And only, because remember, the crowd is still there. He only lets Peter, James, John, Jairus, and his wife come inside. And everybody, see, they had professional mourners in that day. And so they heard that the daughter had died, and so they're doing the professional crying. And Jesus says, why are you putting, King James, much ado, why are you putting on all this extra? She's not dead, she's sleeping. And they began to laugh at Jesus. And Jesus like, get out. Jesus kicked out people, and it wasn't even his house. Get out. Just go, go. All you out the door. Yes, yes, you. Oh, I have another family for 30 years. You too, out. And Jesus goes to her and says, little girl, get up. He takes her by the hand, and she comes back to life. What happened? Exactly what Jairus said. Jesus, if you touch her, she will be healed and made whole. She will be restored. And she was. These are people who saw what Jesus was doing. And by their faith, they got in on it. By their faith, they received healing and restoration. Go with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side, beckoning. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, which is a messianic title. Have mercy on me. Messianic covenant title. I'm asking for covenant mercy. I'm asking for covenant love. Based on my covenant and who you are, I'm asking for mercy. And when, and many charged him, shut up. Be quiet. Will you just shut up? But he cried the more a great deal, saying, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. So who's initiating this miracle? This man. And then people turn because people can be fickle. Hey, be of good cheer. Cheer up, be encouraged. He's calling for you. You just told me to shut up. I know, I know, I know. That was my last week. Keep going. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And so we just read through it. Why does that matter? Let my hoodie be his garment. His garment was the official sign that he was a beggar. There were official beggars' garments. He was known to be a beggar. 
and we look at his name, the type of name that he had, some commentators believe that he used to be someone of prestige. He used to be someone who had some type of wealth. But because of whatever was going on in his life and with his family, he's now reduced to begging, and he cannot see. And so he has his official garment of the beggar standing there, sitting there. But then he hears Jesus is coming by, and he heard about Jesus. He knew he was the son of David. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he was anointed. He knew he could manifest the covenant mercy, the covenant love. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Dude, shut up. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why are you still talking? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus paused and said, come, come here. Ain't no people say, oh, yeah, he's calling for you. But then he takes the official garment of his begging, throws it off, and heads it to Jesus. Why? In his mind, I'm no longer going to be a beggar. Because not only am I going to get my sight back, I'm going to get my life back. So I'm going to leave the official garment of my drama, the official garment of my trauma, the official garment of my tragedy. I'm going to leave it there and take myself to Jesus. See, so many people haven't received a miracle because they got something else in their hand. That they're so addicted to the pain of their past and the trauma, the tragedy of their past. They're holding on to it and allowing it to define them. Well, you remember what happened to me when I was a child? You remember what happened to me when I was in school? You remember what happened to me in my marriage? You remember what happened to me in my job? You remember all these things and you're holding on to what you've been through or holding on to your mistakes or holding on to what people did to you. And it's hard for you to see a miracle when you are identifying yourself by what happened to you. You have to be like this man that said, yeah, today's the last day. And he went to Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, what do you want? Because people want a lot of stuff. One of the things about Jesus, he was known for giving to the poor. That's one of the things you see in the gospel he did on a regular basis. That's how you know he wasn't the poor. Because he was giving to the poor on a regular basis. And so he said, what do you want? He says, that I might receive my sight. And we know when we see verse 52, what happened? Notice what happened. This man go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has caused you to be restored. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Jesus was walking by. And this man could have just stayed there. And said, so, oh man, Jesus came by. Or he could have got a good donation, a good cash app from Jesus. But he wanted to see he wanted his life. And by his faith, he received it. He received restoration. Go to Luke 17 with me. Will you be made whole? Will you be restored? 
Luke 17. And it came to pass, verse 11, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Why? They can't come close. Social distancing in the Bible. They can't come close. And they're yelling. Jesus, teacher, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go, show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. Pause. According to the law, you only go to the priest once your leprosy had already been cleansed. Once your leprosy had already left. These dudes are lepers with all the evidence of lepers, leprosy on their body. But Jesus told them, go show yourself to the priest. In other words, go act like you're healed. Because you are. And it says, as they went. So some people say, well, you know, I prayed and nothing has happened yet. Well, or Roberts used to call it this way. You're just winting. And as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were made whole. As they were went, they were restored. And so all of them saw the difference in their bodies. And so this one man who was a Samaritan turned back with a loud voice, ran to Jesus, and thanked him and praised God. And then Jesus said, weren't there 10 of you who were cleansed, but only you came back? Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has brought you restoration. Go with me to Matthew 15, verse 28. Notice those 10 initiated the miracle. Jesus was going by, and by their faith, they grabbed restoration. Will you be restored. Matthew 15, verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith, be it even unto you as you will. It was the healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. And her daughter was made whole or restored from that very hour. And as Jesus departed from there and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain, sat down there, and great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them or cured them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole or to be restored, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel." Now, this word maim means crooked, injured, disabled, mutilated. It means crooked, injured, disabled, mutilated. And so those who had crooked places in their body were restored. Those who had injured places in their bodies were restored. Those who had disabled places in their body were restored. Those who had mutilated places in their body, things that had been chopped off or had fallen off for whatever reason, restored. God is able to restore you to the uttermost. Will you be made whole? You see, you even see it in the ministry of the apostles. You see what happens in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 when the lame man was at the temple and Peter and John were walking by 
and he's asking for money. He's asking for cash up. He's asking for donations. And Peter and John said, silver and gold, we don't got it, man. But what I do have, I'll give to you. And the name or the authority and the character of Jesus, get up and walk. And Peter grabbed him by the hand. Immediately, his body received strength. And this man went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. And it was such a scene that everybody came because they knew that man couldn't walk when they came to temple that day. And while Peter is preaching, he shares. And then when he gives his account later to the Jewish leaders, he shares that don't look at us that by our own strength, our own holiness, our own religiosity, our own piety, we've made this man whole or we brought restoration to him. It is faith in the name of Jesus has restored this man. Faith and the name of Jesus have made this man whole. Faith and the name of Jesus has made this man well. Faith in the name. Faith in the name. Now go with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. There's a book called Judges. Faith, which is belief, trust, confidence, reliance, and assurance. Judges chapter 6. looked at this at the beginning of the series in midweek about a month or so ago. Story of Gideon. He's in hiding because the Midianites had domination over the people of God. And so he's in a wine press threshing wheat, very small area. It's supposed to be done in a big area, but he's afraid the Midianites are coming to steal his food. And so as he's doing this, Notice what the angel of God said. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I'm sure he didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. Why? He's in hiding. He didn't feel strong. He didn't feel like he was, had a lot of valor. And he says, if the Lord is with us, then why is this all befallen us? Why is this going on in the world today? what he's asking. And we read a few verses back, God had sent a prophet to tell him this is why this is going on. So God already answered that question. Then Gideon asked another question. Where are God's miracles? Where are the miracles we heard about in the days of our parents when they left Egypt? The days of the wilderness. The days of Joshua. Where are the miracles we were told about? And then, so God already answered question one, so he didn't have to answer it again. But question two, he told Gideon, go. And so if Gideon wanted to see the miracles, he had to go. And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of God, and he was afraid, thinking he was going to die, God spoke to him and said, peace, you will not die. 
and he gives them instruction on what to do and how to fight. It's interesting to me that when God reveals himself as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, he tells the man to fight. Because if you want peace, if you want restoration, you have to be willing to fight for it. Gideon, if you want to see the miracles, you got to fight. If you want to see the miracles that happened in Egypt and in the wilderness and with Joshua, with the other generation, you're going to have to fight. If you want restoration, you're going to have to fight. We see God's name in the Old Testament, New Testament, the God of peace. And here he's known for the first time as Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, the God of restoration, the God who wants you to have nothing missing, nothing broken, but wholeness in every area of your life. And he says, if you want that, you're going to have to fight. Which means we have to get out the mentality of just expecting God to do it. That I can lay on my couch all day and God's going to do it all. No. We have a responsibility to grace. Grace has its part, but we as faith people have our part. We can't just take the attitude, well, God's going to do what he's going to do, so I'm just going to sit and wait. No. You have your part. Gideon had his part. And we know as you study through Judges how God mightily used him. Because Gideon had a list of excuses too. He said, look, I am the weakest and the poorest and the brokest in my family. And my family is the weakest and the brokest of my whole tribe. But how many know by now God is not interested in your excuses? That God knew your excuses before he called you. God knew your excuses before he anointed you. God knew your issues before he anointed you. Yet, if he anointed you to do it, you might as well just agree with him. Because I just think he knows you better than you know yourself. Go to 1 Timothy. If you want restoration, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want to walk in what God has for you at the end of this year, you're going to have to fight for it. Notice what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit unto you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before you, that by them you might war a good warfare. What did Paul tell Timothy? Fight with the prophecy. I'm like, well, how do I fight with a prophecy? Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. He told him, use the prophecy and fight. One of the things you learn in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy is words that were spoken over Timothy at his ordination and even a spiritual heritage he had. And Paul is telling him, fight with the prophecy. Ephesians 6, verse 17. Talking about the armor of the believer. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This word here, the rhema word of God. The revealed word of God to you, what God has spoken to you. It is a sword. It is a weapon. And so, how do you fight with the word of God? How do you fight with the prophetic word that God has spoken over your life? The same way Jesus fought the enemy. When Satan came and tempted him, he said, it is written. Well, what about this? It is 
written. But what are this? Thus saith the word. Thus saith the Lord. It is written. What was he doing? Resisting him. And the Bible says, when you resist the enemy, he will flee, run in stark terror from you. But you must resist. And so when circumstances and situations show up in your life that are not according to the word and not according to what God spoke over your life, you have to resist it. And I understand you resist it for the second. Oh, no. You got to resist it longer. Although the temperature's changing, some of y'all are resisting. No, it's still summer. No, the season changed. But when it comes to things of spiritual nature, you just don't resist. We make up phony doctrines. Oh, it must be the will of God for me to be this way. This must be what God wanted. And you put everything on God. And God said, no, I didn't. I sent Jesus. I don't know why you live in that way, but that's up to you. We have a responsibility in this. We must fight. Anytime a situation, a circumstance shows up that is against restoration, it's like, no, I don't accept this. This is my year of restoration. This will turn because this is my time of restoration. The Lord told me that I'm going to be transformed, and by the end of the year, I'm going to like my result. You have to talk back. You have to fight the good fight of faith. You can't just take everything that happens in your life. Oh, that's just part of life. That's just what God wants to know. Fight. Will you be restored? Will you be made whole? It's up to you. Are you willing to fight? Are you willing to press? Are you willing to resist when you're tired? Are you willing to resist when everything else is going on? Are you willing to resist when everybody's caught up with the narrative? Oh, 2020 is a horrible year. I can't wait for this year to be over. Do you know what happens out this year? 2021. What if more dramatic things happen in 2021? Oh, I just can't wait till 2022. So you just can't wait for all these things to happen and you're going to let your life be horrible in the meantime? What about fighting the good fight of faith? What about instead of letting the year happen to you, you happen to the year? What if instead of just taking all this, you resist? That we're so caught up with the narrative, so caught up in the world that if this happens, then my life can be good. If this happens, if Saul takes me to the pool, I'll be fine. If this person gets elected, I'll be fine. If this thing happens, I'll be fine. You're caught up with the world and you have the blame on everybody else when Jesus is looking squarely at you saying, will you be made whole? Will you be restored? It's up to you. Jesus has initiated your miracle. What will you do about it? It's good to say glory now, but you got to say glory tomorrow. You're going to have to say it on Tuesday. You're going to have to choose to fight by faith and walk in love when someone ticks you off on Wednesday. You're going to have to talk about your restoration on Thursday and Friday. You're going to have to stand for it on Saturday and come back to the house of God thanking God for what he did this week and saying next week's going to even be better. You have to stand in this place of faith. You're going to have to fight. 
you're going to have to resist the enemy. In the midst of everything going on, in the midst of every news report, all your Facebook and Twitter and TikTok feeds, in the midst of all that, no. Well, what if some of my family catches the virus? Resist. No. That can't stay on you. So, well, they don't know how to fight in faith. You fight for them. Especially if they're your child or grandchild. No. But what does I say? Tell them Jesus and grandma said no. Stop letting this stuff just happen. Resist. The victory has been won, and you must fight from a place of victory. You must stand for what God has given you. If you don't, Satan will take it from you. The world will take it from you. I refuse to give in to the narrative. This is the worst year of life. No, no, this is my year of restoration. But no, nope, nope, I don't agree. Well, hasn't it been a horrible year? Well, you know, there have been some things that have happened this year that aren't good. Yep, I've seen it. Yep, I've seen the news reports. Well, what about you? Actually, God's been good. Well, what about the church? I've heard so many testimonies, like, between me and you, I keep getting these testimonies that people in my church have made more money this year than they made in their entire life. But that doesn't make sense. I know it's faith. Well, you don't know anybody caught the virus? Yes, and they beat it. And they're better than they've been worth it before. I'm just not buying the narrative. I don't care who gets elected. I'm just not buying the narrative. Oh, it's a mess. Yeah, there's a lot of things that's a mess. I'm just not buying the narrative. I just won't be moved. Whoever's elected does not affect my restoration. Whatever CNN, Fox News, MSNBC says does not affect my restoration. No matter what's trending on social media does not affect my restoration. My God is not subject to them. So you have to make sure what you feed on is right. And this time it's very important what you feed on. And if you feed on the news and social media more than you feed on the word, you will be defeated. Simple as that. I didn't say don't watch the news. Yes, watch the news. Yes, know what's going on. But make sure you're in the word more. So that the word shapes your mouth and your narrative instead of everything that's going around. This is a fight you fight every day. And if you have kids, you train them what to say. And so there's a whole lot of things we have to train our kids. Yes, social distancing. Yes, all these things. But here's what you say. Teach them to fight. Teach them to use their faith. Before they can even spell faith, they'll know how to use it. Before they know all the deep doctrines of why faith works the way it does, they know how to use it. Because how many know you don't have to know how things, something works to use it? Most of us in here, now a few of you might be mechanically inclined, but most of us don't know all the details of how a car works. But you knew how to either push that button or push, put the key and turn and get here. You don't know all the deep detail and the electric, electrical part and the gear and this and this and the, you don't know that? I don't know that. Some of you might be mechanically inclined, so oh, I know every detail. Well, God bless you. Thank God for your mind. But what we did know how to do is drive and get here. See, the thing is, you don't have to understand everything. Just know how to work it. 
Well, I don't know why faith works that way. You don't have to know. Just work it. Well, I don't know why what I say matters. Just work it. Use your faith. See, we'll get into this next week. Because God wants you to be restored, but he also wants you to bring restoration. He wants you to rebuild the waste places. Instead of looking to Washington, D.C. to fix everything, why don't we do it? We keep following these elephants and donkeys and bowing down before them. And what happens? Everything that happens every four years. I just refuse to go along with the narrative. Yes, I'm going to vote. Yes, I voted every single election. I believe in voting. But one of the things I'll do when I give, when I vote this year, you know, vote however you see fit. You can go to the poll place if you want. Me and my wife decided we're voting by ballot. And I do that because I like to take my kids with me when I vote, because I'm training them to vote. And so the only way I'm going to take them is if we're all together there. And so when we vote this year, we'll make our selections up and down the ballot, what we're going to do, looking at every candidate. And as we vote, we'll say, Father, this is our vote. This is what we believe we're supposed to do. But no matter what happens, we have the victory. No matter who's elected, we're good. Because your word tells us not to trust in princes, nor the son of man in whom there is no help. So I'll do my civic responsibility and say, my faith is in you, sir. And then I vote. Simple as that. Well, will you stay up and watch your wins? Probably because, you know, I was broadcast journalistic trained. I like watching the news results. But is it going to bother me? No. It's just going to direct my prayers for the next four years or whatever. Whoever wins me, well, I'm going to pray for them. Why? The Bible says pray for all those who are in authority. doesn't matter how I feel about them. The Bible says pray, and I pray. Now, strike them down, Jesus. No. Pray the word. Pray for their eyes and their ears to be open. Pray for laborers to come across their path. Pray for those who surround them. See, the thing is, we become so fleshly. We haven't been effective in prayer. And we forget about the people who surround elected officials. That when you pray for lawmakers, you need to pray for those who work with them. Because some of their age are the ones who write the laws. Some of the judges and justices... They look at the notes provided to them by their clerks. So yes, pray for the person in that seat, but pray for the people who are providing them information. We have to be prayer people. When we're in these 31 days of prayer, we need to actually pray. Pray effectively. Prayer that brings results, not just, mm, Jesus. We have to be effective. Not just praying for prayer's sake. Because, yes, you should pray some things about yourself, but one of the things I realized, most of my prayer time is not about me. It's about others. So well, what do I pray when I don't know what to say anymore? Pray in the Spirit. What if I don't even like the person I'm praying for? Just pray in the Spirit. God, you love them, so I, I present them to you. Now I'm going into the Spirit so I can control my mouth. And pray in the Holy Ghost. See, I just believe God has a sense of humor. God can have you praying about somebody you don't even like. Walk by faith. Restoration is up to you. It's up to you. God's done his part. He's initiated the miracle. But as we saw today, you need to grab onto it by faith.
You need to keep hearing this word and hearing what God is doing. Grab onto it by faith. You need to resist the attacks of the enemy. You need to resist the distractions. You know, Mark 4 talked about the cares of this world. Anxiety brought through distraction. And that's one of the ways Satan steals the word from you. You have to resist that too. You need to focus on what God is saying. Because I really believe that we can say so, see so much in these last three months of the year that you can say, man, 2020 was the best year of my life. And people will look at you crazy for saying so. And if the Lord leads you, explain yourself. Well, yeah, a lot of things happen. Here's what God did. In the midst of everything going on, this is what God did. And they said, well, that didn't happen for me. You give me a second to pray for you, it will. I just refuse to buy into narratives. You talk to my neighbors, oh, it's a scary time. Well, some things have happened this year. You're not afraid? No. Do you think I should be afraid? No. Well, I'm not wanting him to operate in fear. Yes, do your due diligence. Yes, wear your mask. Yes, clean everything down, but don't be afraid. Refuse to fear. Refuse it. The only thing worse than the virus and the economic uncertainty attached to that virus is fear. Because the thing is, you can do everything that's necessary to protect yourself and be afraid and still catch it. Why? Fear will act like faith. faith fear will bring things to you. Because fear... It's something you heard, something you believed, something you said. Fear is a force and so is faith. You need to decide which one you're going to operate in. I choose faith because I want to be restored. I want restoration. So Jesus said, will you be restored? Yes, sir, I will. Yes, yes. A thousand times, yes. Me. My family, my house, my church, my business, everything. Yes! I choose. You have to be the same way. So the question for you is, will you be restored? Well, big man told me yes. And a few others said yes. Well, all the rest of y'all. Will you be restored? Yes. Let's try it again. Will you be restored? Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.